Turn this morning to Second uh, Kings, chapter four. Second Kings, chapter four. Let's bow together before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for this, the day that Thou hast made. We're thankful for this opportunity to worship Thee. Lord, we're thankful for one another that You've brought us together in Christ, made us brothers and sisters in our dear Lord. We pray this morning that you'll bless your word, that you'll bless those who preach and teach it. Pray that you'll bless those who hear. Lord, we ask that you'll open the ears of your people, cause them to hear your word and rejoice in our Lord and bow at his feet. Watch over us now and bless us according to thy will and forgive us for our sins in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to look with me at a verse here in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, which reads, And it fell on a day, there was a, there was a day, that Elijah the prophet passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. You see this term here. It says there was a great woman. It would be one thing if it said there was a woman. Okay. There's a lot of women in this world, isn't it? But it described her in the word of God as a great woman. Now, over the last 35 years, I've known some great women. Uh, now, not as the world defines great women. I've not known anybody famous or powerful in that regard. Uh, I think I was probably in my late 20s when the company I worked for had a charity event and some movie, well, not really a movie star, TV, I forget her first name. Her last name was Day, but it was some family show. And boy, she came in. Everybody's making over and she came over and spoke to me. That's as close as I ever got to anybody great in the, in the eyes of the world. You know, and so what? I don't know any woman who's powerful or mighty or especially, you know, on the cover of magazines and this kind of stuff. But uh, as the Bible qualifies greatness, I've known some great women. I've known Doris Mahan. I've known Betty Groover. I've known Evelyn Clark. Now, age, you say, those are all older women. Age is not the prerequisite for greatness in the Word of God. I've known Lynn Nybert and Mary Bell and Winna Groover. I've known some younger women who were great women. So you say, well, do you have to be a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife to be a great woman? No, I can put this in perspective for you, I think, with just one name, Adrian. She was a great woman, absolutely a great woman. And 
Let's see in these verses what they say about this great woman. This woman recognized and befriended a prophet of God. This prophet came through and she, she took the uh, initiative and said, you come in and eat bread in my house. And turn over to Acts, hold uh, 2 Kings 4, we're going to come back there, but turn to Acts chapter 16 with me. And I want you to see a scripture in Acts 16. And some of you fellows may be sitting there thinking, is he going to talk about women this whole time? No, I'm going to talk about Christ, but I'm going to do it from the perspective of this great woman. And the ladies are going to listen, I'm sure, but you fellows might pay attention too. We just might all learn something I, uh, about this. I spent a lot of time looking at what this is about. And, you know, every great woman, I found this out, she attaches herself to a man who preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean she has to marry him. That's not what that means at all. But she will constrain him. Did you notice in that verse back in Kings, it said she constrained him. All right. And a great woman will constrain a man who preaches the gospel. She'll attach herself to that man. And uh, look at Acts 16, verse 14. We see here, and a certain woman. And by the way, if you go through the scriptures, whenever you see that word certain in front of man or woman, it almost always means a child of God. He doesn't have just, you know, this is the biggest lie told in religion today is that God loves everybody and wants to save everybody, and he makes it available to you, and you pick him. No, that's foolishness. No, God chooses his people because they're certain people. They were chosen in Christ on purpose for certain before the foundation of the world. So it says there's a certain woman named Lydia in verse 14. She was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, and it says she worshiped God. And she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. He, he became her pastor. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come unto my house and abide there. And she constrained us. You see that same word? It's the same word over here in 2 Kings 4 where this woman constrained the prophet of God, Elisha. And what it means is that she arranged her life so that hearing that man preach the gospel was more important to her than anything in this world, period. And I know some of you have done that same thing. You've constrained. You want to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, back in 2 Kings 4, look at verse 9. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us that he'll turn in thither. This woman got it in her heart and in her head to do a kind and a good thing. 
but it involves some family resources to do it. Therefore, she sought her husband's consent. And ladies, uh, uh, those of you who have a husband, it's a good and a wise thing to seek your husband's consent. Now, you know, I've heard uh, fellows talk a lot about the deceit and cleverness of women. And listen, I understand. My, my, my wife can just about convince me to do almost anything she wants done. And I, that's all right. It's okay. She's clever enough because I'm just fool enough. To, and, and that's okay. I'm not, you know. But listen, uh, there's some things you don't want to be clever and deceitful about. And you want to be, you want to just come right at your man. And uh, you ladies, uh, you know, if you use deceit and cleverness in your relationship with your husband, it won't work out well. It'll undermine your marriage. And I think those of you who've been married a while know that. It's, it's very foolish to do that with your husband. And let me give you the application of that. Deceit has no place in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not uh, try to deceive our Lord. He knows the heart. He's not, he's not having it when we, uh, you know, be deceitful. Or, it, it, but it won't end well. It just won't end well. So, you know, there's great danger uh, to do that when a woman deceives her husband or vice versa a fellow deceives his wife but if we'll seek consent when we should much more often than not then a man will heed your concern a husband will concede your will uh, seek your uh, best interest too don't base our relationship with our husband a marital relationship on deceit or cleverness but on truth faith, and love. That's the relationship we have with our Lord. It's based on faith, hope, and love. But now, you say, what if you don't have a husband to seek out about these matters? That's a good question. Uh, you don't have a husband who loves Christ. What, what do we do about this? Let me give you two suggestions. On any serious matter, attach yourself to a prophet of God so that you can seek his counsel and advice. It is one of the, I'm going to be real candid with you here, it's one of the reasons you need a pastor. Y'all know this. It's one of the reasons you need a pastor above all else is so that you have a man you can go to. You men know this too. He's the representative of your Lord, and therefore you can seek him out and seek his counsel and advice. And a single lady or a lady whose husband doesn't have an answer to the gospel can seek out a pastor as well. It's a it's a most important thing. Now, if you say, what if that's not possible? Well, you don't have a husband or you don't have a husband who loves Christ. If you have a lady who's a friend who does, seek his counsel through him, through her. And you can have access to that advice. And this great woman... She obviously got her husband's consent. You know why? Because she built the room on and got the addition. Or what have you? Look at verse 11. And it fell on a day that the prophet came thither, and he turned into the chamber 
he came there and he found out there was a bed made for him and he lay there. And then it says that he said to Gehazi, his servant who traveled with him, call this Shunammite, this woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said unto her, say now unto her, behold, they didn't speak the same language. Do y'all understand this? They were, he was from Moab and this country where they were, they spoke different languages, but Gehazi could interpret, okay? And he said, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. And he said, What's to be done for you? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. What, she, what he offered to do for her, all right, was he said, You've done this kind thing for me. And he said, I'm grateful. He said, what would you have me do for you? And do you know that Elisha had access to the actual king of the whole kingdom? And he could get done for her anything she wanted. And you know what she said? She said, it's enough that you come my way. I tell you, it's enough if we hear the gospel, isn't it? If we have Christ, we got everything we need. And that's what she said. Now, Notice in verse 14, read on with me here. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, well, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the door, and he said, about this season or this time next year, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. She said, if this isn't going to happen, don't tell me it is. And the woman conceived and bare a son in that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. Now listen to me here. She had a very great desire to have a child, but she didn't complain or even mention it to Elijah. But Gehazi here is a picture of the Spirit of God and he knew what she wanted. And our Father, he knows what we need before we even ask, as well as what we desire. Yet she found no fault with God's providence, but only asked not to be given false hope for what she should not nor could not have. And great women learn not to complain or to cause others to suffer for what their husbands cannot provide or for what God chooses to withhold. Did we hear that? Did we hear that? Great women learn not to complain or to cause others to suffer for what their husbands cannot provide or for what God chooses to withhold. Elisha brought her good news. She would have life within her. And the precious promise of the gospel is that where there was once only sin and death, there shall now be new life. And this is also a picture of the miraculous birth of Christ. This woman's husband was unable to contribute to the bearing of a child. And man had no part in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a virgin birth without sin. Now look at verse 18 where it says, And when the child was grown, he was a young lad, it fell on a day that he went out to his father in the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. He said, My head hurts. And the father said to the lad, carry him to his mother. Now, 
this lad became sick, and why his dad didn't care for him or take him to his mother personally, I don't understand. I don't know the answer to that. It's not revealed. But listen, he's certainly not the first dad to let his work come before his children. And fellows, we ought to be mindful of that. Often, child-rearing responsibilities falls primarily to the mom, if not almost exclusively. And often, husbands, we just don't seem to get it about some things in a lot of ways. And guys, listen up. You say, well, you're being pretty hard on me. No, I'm just being hard on me. I'm a dad and father as well. But there are times when a woman senses danger and a man has no clue. Never ever, (laughs) I'm going to use this illustration, guys. Never ever when your wife, you're talking, maybe at a table full of people, Never ever when she kicks you under the table or nudges your leg, go, why'd you kick me? Let me tell you, that's a, that, that goes ahead right before a fate worse than death. Don't do it, guys. Just don't do it. And we've all done it. I, I've, if I made you raise your hand, everybody in here has had your wife just reach under there and kind of nudge your leg. And, and what do we do? Our instinct is to go, what are you kicking me for? I'm smart. I know what I'm saying. And don't tell me. Is that not our nature? Hmm? Listen, most of the time, they know what they're talking about. They know what you're talking about. And they know when you shouldn't be talking about it anymore. Don't ignore that kick under the table. Great women try to save their husbands primarily from themselves. This is hard for me to take. Don't, you know, I'm not getting after you guys. I'm talking to myself here. Your wife is not your enemy. She's your helpmate. She wants the very best for you. And I don't care if you have to, uh, you know, when she nudges you, I don't care if you have to choke on your saliva or act like you're gagging or what you have to do. Just don't say, why'd you kick me? Just change it. You know, I don't care if you give this. You, you can say, look, oh, I'm telling a stupid story and I'm going to stop. But just stop. Heed her warning to you. You say, well, what if she's wrong? Well, talk about it later. But don't humiliate her when she's just trying to help you. Help her help you as a great helpmate will do. Here's the best advice I know to give any husband, and most of it I've learned the hard way. When your wife asks for help, give it. I tell my young sons, youngly, newly married, well, if I've been married years now, but I tell them one of the most important things you can learn is when your wife asks you to do something, do it right then. Don't go, I'll get it tomorrow, I'll get it in an hour, I'll get it in a minute. Just get up and do it. It will improve everything, amazingly so. Just do it. When she asks for help, do it. It will set a principle in your home that you value her and what she needs, what she wants, and be attentive to it. When your wife is concerned, enter into it with her. Don't mock her. Don't make fun of her because she's concerned about something you think is not important. If it wasn't important to her, she wouldn't raise the issue. When your wife hurts, be compassionate and comfort her. 
And here's maybe the most important thing. When your wife wants to talk, listen. Listen. Just listen. You don't have to solve the problem. Just listen. And you say, where'd you get all that? Okay, here it is. When you ask our Lord for help, what do you want? You want help. <laughs> you want some help. When you ask our Lord, when you go to him, when you're concerned, you're troubled, he's never going to laugh at you, mock you. He's going to be attentive to what you're asking. When you go to your Lord because you're hurting, you're in pain, you're suffering emotionally or physically, you know what he'll do? He'll be compassionate. He'll comfort you. When you just lay there suffering, your heart's broken, and you cry out, you know what you want? You want your Lord to listen. You want him to hear your cry, and he will. That's what a loving husband does. It's what our Lord does for his people. Men, as the bride of Christ, we hope for, we ask for, we even expect these kindnesses and love from our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, he paid with his blood and his life to do this and so much more for us. Can we not do these small things for our wives? We can do these things for our wives, and it costs us nothing. It doesn't cost a penny to listen. Not a nickel does it cost to listen to her concerns. Every great woman would give a fortune to be treated this way by her husband. Husbands, love your wives. That's what it means. Now look at verse 20 here. So the, the boy is sick, and a dad says, well, carry him up to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, the boy sat on her knees till noon, and then, look, he died. He died. What happened here is an unspeakable horror. I don't know anything about it, really, the death of a child, and really don't want to know. But all the pain of all the agonies of life and death cannot add up to the pain of this. Why is that so? God the Father sanctioned the death of his child, his son at Calvary. He can enter into the very worst that happens to you and I. Now look at verse 21. And the woman went up and laid this boy on the bed of the man. She went into that little hut and laid this boy there and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And the husband said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath when he normally came through. And she said, it shall be well. She's saying, it's going to be peace if I can find that man. Now, she didn't tell her husband that the boy was dead. And you say, why didn't she do that? Because first, she was confident that God was able to raise her son from the dead, just like he would raise his son from the dead hundreds of years later. She said, it shall be well. And listen, It'll be well for God's people because God raised his son from the dead. <laughs> He's in control. Secondly, great women try to spare their men all the pain they can. I appreciate you, ladies. I know you do this. I know you do this. You try to protect your men because we don't take it very well. We really don't. There's a reason why men don't give birth to kids. I'm telling you. We couldn't handle it. 
We couldn't. Any man who here who doesn't know that is uh, badly misled and mistaken. No, we couldn't do it. Believers, all the motivation we need not to sin, even though we cannot not sin. Did you get that? We cannot not sin. All the motivation we need is to think of the pain we cause to be laid on Christ, our husband, our friend, our beloved. Verse 24. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive, go forward. Slack not thy riding for me except I bid thee. He said, she's saying, Make this donkey go fast. Make him go as fast. Don't worry about my comfort. And fellas, if we haven't reached a place, been married long enough to know that, that our helpmate will sacrifice her own comfort for our sake, we're badly mistaken. That's what a helpmate does. It's what a, what a great woman does. And then it says, verse 25, So she went and came unto the man of God at Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi's servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite woman. He said, You run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Well, she answered Gehazi and said, It's well. He said, Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make sense. She said, It's well. I'll tell you why she said it's well. She knew by the power of God could make that boy live, that he didn't give this boy to her to die this way. And you know when you and I are hurting, we got troubles and problems and what have you, if we just get headed in to, towards the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll see that far off what our trouble is, and he'll set in motion whatever it takes to fix it according to his will. Now, where did I leave off here? In uh, verse 27, and when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to, to stop that so she wouldn't lay hands on him. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. I'm telling you, God will not prevent our coming to him when we have need. He won't do it. won't allow anything to get between us and him. Verse 28, Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She was saying, don't tell me I'm going to have a child if I'm not. And now she's saying, did you give him to me to then take him away? She says, I know you didn't do that. Verse 29, then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If you meet any man, don't stop to salute him. And if any man salute thee, answer him not again. And lay the, my staff upon the face of the child. And as the mother child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before him, laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet Elijah and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And when Elijah, Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon him, twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and laid upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the fl flesh of the child waxed warm. He began to have life again. Then he returned and walked in the house to, the to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him 
And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto the him, he said, Take up your son. Now, in case anybody doesn't understand what happened here, all right, he sent his servant, all right, and he took the staff, and here's the dead boy laying there, and he laid the staff on the boy. And you say, well, what did that accomplish? He didn't come back to life. Well, I'll tell you what. This is a picture. The staff is a picture of the cross of Christ. All right? When we see Christ on the cross, okay, we have life. All right? Not, not apparent to very many people, <laughs> is it? Your, your friends and stuff, they don't, don't see much different at first when you first hear the gospel. But then came the prophet in, Elisha, and he's a picture of Christ here. He laid himself down on the face of this boy, put his mouth to his mouth, breathing life into him, put his eyes up to his, his hands on his. You say, you, you say what's going on here? This is substitution. Elijah was taking the death and giving life. The Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, what this is a picture of, he died there. So you and I don't have to eternally. And he gave life there, one we didn't have. I don't want to go before God in my own in, in my life, in my righteousness. No way do I want to do that. There's substitution here. And that's what this is a picture of. Now, what constitutes a great woman of God? Is it having a husband? No, that's not a requirement. But if you have one, try to be the best helpmate you can. Submit according to the word of God. Do you have to have children? No. But if you do, raise them up in the spirit and admonition of the Lord. To be a great woman, do you have to have the gift of hospitality? No, but if you have the gift, exercise it. Y'all are great at that here. I love to come up here and speak. If you ladies are cooking, I want to be part of it. It's a good thing. And ladies, if you'd be a great wife, mother, or have many gifts... Read the scriptures, read the epistles in the New Testament, and ask God to give us those graces. But great women have this one thing in common. Listen to me. They love Christ and his gospel. They worship our Lord. He comes before everything, husband, children, parents, friends, even your own self also. Great women worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And look here at verse 37. Then she went in and fell at the feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Great women find a man preaching Christ and stay right there. Fellas, you want a little heaven on earth? Marry a great woman. Marry a great woman. Don't settle for anything less. Only a great woman. Only a great woman is going to make you happy. It's just like if you want any peace, comfort, or happiness in this life, get married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make your, make your life everything in him. Well, I hope that's uh, helpful to you. I, I, uh, I've known some great women. There's some great women right here in front of me. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for you. I recognize it in you. And I didn't come here to, to go, okay, that's not the purpose of what I came to say about. It's to encourage you and, fellas, to encourage you. If you marry to a great woman, boy, she's to be cherished. Not that you don't cherish them, but 
not everybody has that joy and blessing in this life. And if you're not married, you fellas, you need to be looking for a great woman. And you girls, look for a man who will treat you as the great woman you are in Christ. It's, it's the only thing that will matter in, the life to, in, in this life outside of knowing Christ. All right, may the Lord bless his word.